going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and verses 7 to 12, part of the well-known Christmas story. And this is the visit of the Magi, or the wise men, and they've come to see where Jesus was born, but they go to King Herod, and then he directs them to the right place. And verse 7 of chapter 2 picks up the story. Hear God's word. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After that, they, they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would just use this very familiar story to speak to us tonight, to remind us of what you had planned for Christmas, and may we find it in our hearts to respond to your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you believe about Christmas? And the things that you believe, how do they square up with what the man or woman in the street believes? A recent Comrades survey found out in terms of seeking people's attitudes towards Christmas what they actually believed or didn't believe. Here's a, a number of statements that were put to people in a survey. The first one was, an angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. 51% don't believe it. 20% said they don't know whether it happened or not, and 28% said they believe it. So if you believe that happened then you're in the minority. Statement number two was that wise men were guided by a star and brought gifts to Jesus. One of the most familiar stories in the Christmas uh, story. 44% don't believe it. 19% say they don't know whether they believe it or not. And 37% believe it. So a few more believe that the wise men came and brought gifts to Jesus than believe the shepherds uh, were visited by angels. Third statement was the newborn baby was laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. 47% don't believe it, 24% say they don't know, and 29% say they believe it. So not a huge number. If you average out the numbers who believe those parts of the Christmas story, you get just over 30% of people surveyed actually believe the Christmas story as portrayed in the Gospels of the New Testament. Or think of this statement from the same survey. People were asked to comment on this. The birth of Jesus is irrelevant to my Christmas. 51% agreed, 46% disagreed, and 3% said they didn't know whether it was relevant or irrelevant. But more than half of those who were surveyed said the birth of Jesus is irrelevant to my Christmas. And so when Christmas comes around, we get all kinds of uh, 
competitions amongst people to spend the most money. I think, uh, was it the the other day, a billion pounds was spent in the United Kingdom online for the first time in one day's purchasing. Uh, I understand the most expensive Christmas tree appeared in Abu Dhabi in 2011. It was 43 feet high. It was decorated with 181 items of jewelry worth just under 7 million pounds. If any of you would like to give me 7 million for the Christmas tree in church tonight, you'd be very welcome indeed. I will even pack it and deliver it for free. Another Christmas fact is that in the United Kingdom this year, we're expected to spend at Christmas 1.8 billion pounds on Christmas cards. That would build several hospitals. 1.8 billion pounds on Christmas cards alone. In fact, it's very easy to see how what we in the church understand Christmas to be about has been subverted by the commercialism and the secularism of our world to such an extent that most people have lost sight of Jesus about whom Christmas is all about. Nothing perhaps illustrates that better than a Christmas advertisement on television for a mulberry bag. Now, I once played a blinder. I went into a room on one occasion. There was somebody well-dressed as if they were going to a garden party with the Queen. Uh, And I, who have absolutely no way could be uh, called a dedicated follower of fashion, looked at the handbag and said, Is that a Mew Mew by any chance? Yes, she said, it is. Very surprised. No more surprised than me when I'd got it right. But the mulberry bag, if you don't know it, is the must-have for Christmas. 900 pounds for a lovely red leather mulberry bag. So it was such a thing that the advert that appeared for it even appeared on the Stephen Nolan show. And when it gets in the Stephen Nolan show, you know there's controversy. And for many Christians, this advert, I have to say, could be seen as blasphemous. And indeed, I think what it provides for us is a tremendous commentary on what our world and our society understands Christmas to be about. The ad is quite funny in many ways. Uh, and uh, what happens is that in just to set a little bit of the scene, because it begins very quickly... A young couple have moved into a new home, and there's all these packing cases around the new home, but it's Christmas, and the young guy called Joe gives to his girlfriend a wonderful gift that she opens, but their celebrations are interrupted by some visitors. And I want you to watch out very especially for the reaction of Joe, who begins to look more and more puzzled as different visitors come And eventually he says, guys, it's just a bag. And listen and watch to the reaction. What happens after he says that? The Mulberry Christmas Miracle is available on YouTube. And I hope it's going to play for us now. Let's see if we can get the lights darkened down and have a look. Oh my God, Joe. The 
most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Evening. Why don't you add a new bag? Well, yes, I literally just opened it. Lordy, lordy. Do you mind if I... Isn't that a picture? I know. The door was open, so I thought I... May I? Oh, there it is. I wouldn't normally go for red, but that really works, doesn't it? Someone's a very lucky girl. Oh, yes, I know. Sorry, traffic was a nightmare. We come bearing gifts. <laughs> Thank you. Love you. Oh, well, this is truly marvelous. <laughs> it smells amazing. <laughs> it's a thing of wonder. Quite stupendous. Guys, it's just a bag. Linus, the director of uh, Evangelical Lands in Northern Ireland, writing in no less an august body as the Presbyterian Herald. This is what Peter says about the advertisement, and I quote, The advert highlights the real issues of individualism, consumerism, and materialism in our culture. I buy stuff. Christmas becomes about me rather than the other, the family and friends we get to spend time with. Christmas becomes about getting and consuming rather than creating and giving. And finally, Christmas becomes about stuff rather than about Christ. The real joke of the Mulberry advert is a culture that wants to have Christmas without Jesus. Why bother giving gifts if there was no gift that first Christmas? Why bother celebrating Christmas when you don't believe the story behind it? This is what most people do at Christmas. They gather around and celebrate a bag or toys or whatever the must-have item is this year. The whole thing is laughable if you take Jesus out of it, and that's the point. The advert mocks the hollowness and the naked consumerism that many, including some Christians, have made Christmas. I'm not sure he says this is what the makers intended, but it is a brilliant parody of our culture a revealing mirror for any prepared to look into it. To celebrate Jesus or celebrate Christmas without Jesus makes as much sense as the shepherd going to worship the new mulberry bag. It is just a bag. Joe gets it to you. In fact, the truth about Christmas is that it's quite offensive to many. The idea that God should enter the world through the womb of a virgin the idea that God would deign to be born not in a palace but in a stable, that God would be born into a working-class home, no less, the idea that God should even inhabit a human body, the idea that God should come with the sole purpose of dying, all this is offensive to many. But perhaps 
Here is the greatest offense. The gospel narrative is that this was the means by which God chose to save us from our sins and the penalty they deserve. A penalty that means being excluded from God's presence, being condemned to hell. And the idea that we cannot save ourselves either by good works or by achievements or somebody else paying for us apart from Jesus. The very idea that we need a savior outside of ourselves is offensive to some. But take Jesus out of the manger and replace him with stuff, with just a bag or whatever the in thing might be. Surely that is ridiculous. But if God came to forgive our sins through Christ and his cross, if God came to transform us into people becoming ever more like Jesus, what impact does that make on our lives? What is the truth about Christmas for us in our daily lives? Well, one of our members, Sarah Morrow, is going to come and share with us just how God impacted her life and changed her life. Sarah, you're very welcome, and thank you in advance for coming to share. Hi. I'm a wee bit nervous, so bear with me. Um, so I'm Sarah, as Ken said. I'm Sarah Morrow. Um, I've been coming to Orangefield for just over a year now. Um, I'm originally from Bangor. Um, and yes, Bangor, not Bangor. Um, and I, I moved up here to be a bit closer to work and, and those sorts of things. Um, so my job, I manage a suicide prevention team um, in Belfast, Lisburn and Downpatrick. Um, so I work with 11 to 25-year-olds who are at risk of suicide or self-harm. Um, a lot of the kids that I work with have had very challenging lives um, and, and my work takes a lot out of you. Um, it's a very emotionally exhausting um, and I suppose if it wasn't for my faith, I don't know for how long I'd be able to do it. Um, so to tell you a wee bit about how I became a Christian, it wasn't the most straightforward story in the whole world. Um, I was very fortunate I grew up in a Christian home. So my mum's a Christian, my brother's a Christian, um, my dad was not a Christian, um, and he was the only person in my life who wasn't a follower of Christ. Um, when my parents separated, I was 12, and, and I went through a lot of anger and a lot of issues at that time. Um, I was self-harming, I didn't go to school anymore, I didn't, there was a lot of things I didn't do that typically people are supposed to do. Um, and I turned away from Christ. I blamed God. He wrecked my life, uh, and I was very angry at him. Um, and, and for many years, I really struggled with the whole hypocrisy of, of Christians. Um, so the people that I had gone to church with, and they were going out on Saturday nights with me, and we were partying the night away, and then they were in church on a Sunday, holier than thou. And I was like, that doesn't sit well with me. So I came away from the church, I came away from those people, and I, I just made a choice. I made a choice to live a life of partying and, and university and all that that brings. Um, and I did that for many years. And people kept saying to me, you should come back to church. You should come back to church. And I was like, stop giving me such a hard time. Leave me alone. I'm really happy. And my grandfather, who was the most amazing man in the whole world, um, and he, I, I loved him dearly. And on his deathbed, he said to me, Sarah, I'm not scared to die. I'm going to heaven but I won't see you there if you don't wise up. And he died two days later, and I kind of thought about it for a while. Nothing really happened. And people kept saying to me, come back to church, come back to church. And it was about a year later, and I said, kept saying to people when they said, come back, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going until I have to. Something will tell me to go back to church, and then I'll go. 
And about a year later, different things have been happening in my life. And one Sunday morning, I woke up and I was like, I'm going to church today. And I've never seen my mum cry so much. She was like, oh my word, you're coming back. Um, and my nanny, and we, all, we went to church together and so many people welcomed me back. All the people I thought were giving me a hard time and who just wanted to see me back at church. So about six months later, I became a Christian. Um, and I have been one ever since. Um, and I suppose I'm not here to pretend that it's easy. It's not. There's times that I really struggle with my faith. There's times that I really struggle in general, um, particularly when I'm working with the young people that I see. And I think, God, what are you doing? Why was that child abused? Why was that child homeless? And I have to just trust. And I trust in a graceful God. So when I go to funerals of 16, 17-year-olds who have ended their life, I have to trust in my graceful God who has taken them home. And there is a purpose there. I don't know what it is. I might never know what it is. But I have to trust in him. And, and I suppose one of the other things that my faith does for me in my job is I believe that Jesus came and he saw the person. He saw past the stuff. And the kids I work with, I just see that person. So they may be drug addicts. They may be homeless. They may be alcoholics. They may have whatever the stuff is. And we're so quick to label people with their stuff. And instead of just looking at this is a person, and I will genuinely love that person, and all this stuff will be sorted out later on. Um, so I challenge you, because one of the things I struggle with in my faith is, is how we judge people and, and the labels that we put on people. So I challenge you to look beyond the label and see the person. And Ken asked me to say what my favorite thing about Christmas was, or the most important thing about Christmas. Mine's my dinner. That's not true. <laughs> I do love Christmas dinner. Um, I suppose one of the most important thing about Christmas for me is, is that I have a family. I mean, the kids that I work with are homeless. They're on their own. A lot of them don't have families or people who love them. And I am so fortunate. I have a family, and not only do I have a family, but I have a family who's saved. I know each and every member of my family will be in heaven with me. Um, and so I, I really hope that if you have any questions, you can speak to me at the end. Um, but I really hope that you appreciate what you've got this Christmas. Because it's the most important thing. Jesus came to die for you. And I pray that, that you take that on board and you accept him into your heart. Thanks. Sarah, thank you. So, could we give her a round of applause? For, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that. Um, the truth about Christmas is it's not about a bag. And the stuff we get is just a toy. It's just a bag. It's just something that maybe months later we'll even forget that we've been given. The truth about Christmas is that Jesus came to change lives like Sarah's, to change lives like mine, to change lives like many of your uh, lives are here today. And the truth about Christmas is that there's so many myths that come around. Uh, did you notice that we read the story of the wise men coming to the house uh, and sometimes you see Christmas cards or uh, maybe as the Mulberry advert has the shepherds and the wise men all coming in together. The shepherds, of course, came right at the birth of Jesus. And then Matthew in chapter 2 tells us that uh, in verse 11, coming to the house, they went in to see 
the baby Jesus, who obviously after birth, Joseph and Mary had stayed for a little while uh, in Bethlehem and found somewhere else a little bit better to stay in than the stable. In fact, the Bible never even tells us there were three wise men. It's always been assumed there were three wise men because there were three gifts. And what I want to finish with, because this is more than the stuff that we get at Christmas, I want just to finish with something very familiar uh, with you. I love the symbolism of the gifts that these magi, these wise men, astronomers from Persia, came uh, on a very, very long journey. It would have taken them months uh, to come to welcome Jesus. Uh, There was, first of all, gold, which we see symbolized as being for a king. Uh, And here were these men who had traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles because they believed that someone very special had been born. They believed that this someone special was to be a king. And we believe he's the king of kings and lord of lords. We believe that he is the one before whom we should bow our knees and say, I give you my life and my allegiance and my loyalty and my love. Gold presented for a king. And incense or frankincense in some versions is something that was a gift that was presented for a priest. Because one of the offensive things that people find about the Christmas story is the idea that this little tiny baby should be born specifically to die. And yet that was why God sent him into the world. And so this gift of frankincense given was for a priest. And when you think of it in the history of Israel, The two offices, king and priest, were never united together, except in one mysterious figure in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, king and priest of Salem. Uh, And many people see him as a kind of figure of Christ in the Old Testament. And so these two offices in Israel, king and priest, were often quite separate and developed into a kind of secular and spiritual, and Jesus brings them together in one person, king and priest, a priest who can intercede for us to God the Father, a priest who can be an intermediary for us and who can bring our lives to God the Father and say, my death is sufficient for their sins to be washed away, and I can be a mediator for him or her between you and me, O God the Father. He is the priest and is a king. And the third gift of myrrh. Myrrh was something that was used for a funeral preparation. And here was this beautiful baby born in in the hay amongst the manger with Mary adoring him and Joseph wondering about all that had been going on because he knew it wasn't his child. And in the midst of that, these wise men bring myrrh for a burial. The baby born to die. So what is the truth about Christmas? The truth about Christmas is no matter what stuff you get, it is ridiculous if it takes the place of the greatest gift that God has given to us, the gift of his son, Jesus. So here's the thing. Will your Christmas be a mulberry bag thing? Or will it be one where Jesus is put back at the center If you'd like to have a relationship with Jesus, the kind of relationship that Sarah talked about, 
I think, a real relationship that in the midst of all the difficulties of life and what a job Sarah has, often having to go to funerals of teenagers and young people who have killed themselves. Uh, we need to pray for people like Sarah, people who work in the health service with such people. But to understand that God impacts our lives and wants to be with us every day and to help us every day to live for him and to be his servants is a great thing. And to say, God, thank you for that gift of Jesus. Many of us have experienced that gift of Christ. He can be experienced here this evening by you if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus. And we're going to finish with a song in a moment just as we ask the uh, worship team to come back up on stage, which has got nothing to do with Christmas, but everything to do with Christmas. It's thank you for the cross, Lord. And what I'd love you to do as we sing this song is just to really think through what is your Christmas all about? Is it going to be a mulberry bag Christmas? Maybe you and I don't have the money to spend £900 in a bag, but, you know, we've been spending money on presents up until now and some more to spend. Is it going to be about those things? Or is it going to be about, I want to receive that greatest gift, the gift of Jesus? You see, that nativity scene without Jesus is a parody of the emptiness of a secular Christmas. And if you want to come to Jesus tonight, you can come to know him. We're going to have people here come to the front uh, and willing and ready to talk to you. We have this little booklet tonight, Why Christmas? It's the same as the uh, Red Why Jesus booklet, but this has the Christmas theme. Uh, And uh, there's a prayer that you can pray in that booklet if you want to give your life to Jesus Uh, And there'll be a number of us here over in the prayer ministry corner or over here at the front. And if you'd like to come and receive that greatest gift of all tonight, you can receive him. Uh, And we would love to pray with you. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. And as we uh, pray in a moment and then uh, sing our last song, could I encourage you, if you want to come, You'll see some of the team coming up maybe during the last verse of the song. If you want to come and just talk to them, uh, ask them questions, if you want to know what it is to meet Jesus tonight, please feel free to come.